It's normal to feel anxious or down from time to time, but severe or ongoing feelings like these can point to something deeper, anxiety or depression. Next, we learn how to recognize the symptoms and more from the chief of psychiatry at St. John's Riverside Hospital, Dr. Giri Shapiro. This is Riverside Radio HealthCast, the podcast from St. John's Riverside Hospital. I'm Cheryl Martin. Doctor, first, what is anxiety and what is depression? Anxiety is a common emotional state we all experience throughout the day. The depression, people use the term depression in kind of a loose way, but from a psychiatric perspective, the depression, we call it major depressive disorder, which is a disorder of the emotions on the brain and the body. So we all feel anxious. And sometimes maybe you have a situation that happens in your life, you had a fight with your loved ones or something happens at work, you feel depressed, but that's all transitory phenomena. Sometimes anxiety can be very healthy. If you're anticipating participating in a seminar or you're going to play a game and you feel anxious, so good anxiety is helpful to perform better, but the persistent is the word, the persistent is the most important thing. People have persistent anxiety. So, for example, anxiety tends to be worrying about the future. Anxiety means essentially you're worrying about something, worrying about future events going the wrong way, anticipating more and more distress when you have to do things in the future. Whereas depression tends to be worrying about what happened in the past. Depression looks back, anxiety looks forward. So persistence of anxiety to a point where you become dysfunctional. In other words, you're not able to function. You freeze. You cannot do anything. That then becomes more of a disorder. The depression is the same way. You might feel depressed for a day or half a day, but you bounce back. But depression persists for days and days and days, along with some of the symptoms that can turn into a major depressive disorder. And what are those signs and symptoms where it becomes a major disorder? So, for example, we follow what you call diagnostic DSM-5, which are diagnostic criteria for psychiatrists to follow to make a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. We go with five or six symptoms, and there are two symptoms. One of them has to be present at least for a period of two weeks. We call that depressed mood. If you have a depressed mood most of the day, in other words, you're feeling sad, you're feeling empty, you're feeling helplessness. And sometimes others might say, listen, they see you being tearful, they see you being helpless and hopeless. That has to be persistent day in and day out, most of the day, at least for two weeks, not for a day or two, at least for two weeks. And in addition to that, you also have a significant impairment, a diminished interest in doing things that you like to do, interest in daily activities, pleasure in daily activities almost all of the day. We call that anhedonia. You feel fatigued. You feel tired. You cannot enjoy your meals. You can enjoy a conversation with your wife and children. You're not able to perform at work. But that has to be persistent, not just for a day or two, but at least two weeks. That's the minimum requirement for one to consider you may have a major depressive disorder at the moment. In addition to that, you might experience some significant weight loss. Sometimes you lose weight. 
Not when you're dieting. When you're dieting, that's a different issue. If you lose less than 5% of weight without dieting, that's another indication that could be part of a depressed phenomena. Then you have the sleep impairment. It's very, very important. Sleep is very important for human beings. In other words, you have difficulty falling asleep. You have difficulty staying asleep. Sometimes you're also having early morning awakening. That's the most important impairment of sleep in depression. You get up earlier than usual. Used to getting up maybe seven, eight in the morning, you're getting up three or four in the morning, can't go back to sleep. That happens day in and day out, at least for two weeks. That's a significant impairment in sleep. And you feel fatigued because of not being able to sleep, feeling sad, not being able to function. Fatigue comes along the way. And sometimes you feel withdrawn, you feel like you are not participating, you're not engaged. Sometimes in some patients, that can turn into agitation. Some people become more, ag- especially children, adolescents, they show depression, anxiety, more agitated manner. They seem more restless and agitated. That could be part of the depression too. But you cannot take any of the symptoms by themselves. There has to be a total syndrome. We call them symptom complex. That has to be there at least for two weeks for someone to have a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. So how common is it for anxiety and depression to be connected? And so both are being treated. Studies are showing that at least 40% of depressed individuals have generalized anxiety disorder. And up to 50-60% of the time people have panic disorders or some kind of other anxiety conditions that kind of increase the distress from depression. So depression, anxiety tend to coexist. We call them comorbid conditions. So what we tend to do is to treat depression. If it is a major depressive disorder that you're displaying these symptoms, you might treat you with medication to reduce the level of depression and anxiety. We have medications, we call them serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that will help you with anxiety as well as depression. That's where we start. Sometimes some physicians, depending on severe anxiety, panic disorder, might even use benzodiazepines to start with. What I mean by medications like a Xanax or Ativanaconapin can be started earlier to relieve intense anxiety, and the depression medicine takes a while. If I give an antidepressant, you don't get better within a day or two. It takes about three to six to eight weeks for the depression to lift. So in the meantime, if you're having severe impairing anxiety, not being able to function, we might help you relieve that anxiety with anti-anxiety medications while the depression medicine works on the brain, and eventually, when you feel less depressed, anxiety gets better, then we can discontinue the anti-anxiety medication that we gave you in the beginning of the treatment. So anxiety, depression coexist is very, very common. One thing I want to tell you, before I make a diagnosis of psychiatric disorder, of major depressive disorder and anxiety, we have to make sure that individual's health is intact. Many times people have Medical conditions, especially women have maybe low thyroid levels, hormonal changes, and B12, folic acid levels. So when somebody comes into my office saying that they're depressed, I take an evaluation, make a diagnosis, but I would like to get a complete medical workup. I want to make sure that they're not suffering from some underlying medical condition that can cause anxiety and depression, especially low thyroid in women can cause severe depression. So we don't have to use antidepressant for the condition, you you can use thyroid supplements, medication to relieve the low thyroid level, B12 levels, folic acid levels can relieve the symptoms of anxiety and depression, which are not a major depressive disorder, but secondary to underlying medical conditions. 
The other thing also is the medication some people take. Suppose you have hypertension, diabetes, arthritis, some of the medical conditions. The medical doctors are giving you medications. Some of the drugs have a lot of side effects, cardiovascular drugs, blood pressure medications. And the diabetic medications can give you anxiety, depression. So we need to rule out that what you're experiencing is not what we call organic condition, a medical condition, not induced by medications. And even substance abuse is very, very important. Somebody drinking alcohol, using substances, that can cause anxiety depression as well. So we need to rule out all the reversible causes of mood changes before you make a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. That's great you do that complete medical workup first. Absolutely. It's very, very important because you don't want to dole out pills unnecessarily without understanding the total person. So depression is the brain and the medical and the body condition. So are the medical conditions also. Heart disease, hypertension, diabetes can cause anxiety and depression as well. Yes, definitely. Now, do you consider anxiety and depression mental illnesses? Absolutely. Only when a disease, I described to you the persistent anxiety causing functional impairment. Everything comes down to, are you impaired with this condition? Is anxiety causing you impairment in the sense that you're not able to go to work, you're not able to cross a bridge, you're not able to take an elevator, you cannot, you're not able to pay attention to your work, you're not able to perform. You need to look at the functional impairment. What is the change you're experiencing now from what it was a few weeks ago, a month ago, before you start experiencing these symptoms? So you got to see how you were functioning before, how you're functioning now. It should be functional impairment for me to make a diagnosis of major depression or even major anxiety disorder. Now, do lifestyle changes make a difference? Absolutely. I think, you know, what people need to understand is that medication we give can be helpful. They're not the panacea. The last four years during COVID, depression has almost doubled in this country. You have like 85, 90 million people suffering from depression. One of the most common reasons for COVID-related depression is loneliness. When you're isolated, when you're lonely, can cause more distress, that can cause depression. So lifestyle changes, at least for now, most of my patients, I tell them, listen, if you can, do some exercise. Go for a walk. You don't have to go to gym every day. Get a bicycle for half an hour, 20 minutes. Do some yoga. Look at your sleep habits. Why are you not sleeping? Are you eating more than you should after 8 p.m.? Are you staying up late? Are you doing anything else that interferes with your sleep? So a lot of lifestyle changes you can do to reduce the intensity of the depression. And also, I would think, stop the isolation. Isolation, if you can, we say that, especially people who live alone, especially elderly people, middle-aged people who live alone and they have no social life, isolation is the enemy of depression. If you can reduce isolation, interaction with the, with the loved ones or the friends can be very, very helpful in relieving anxiety and depression isolation, definitely. Highly stressful condition to people when you're living all, all your isolated life, yes. So are women more likely to suffer from anxiety and depression? Indeed, yes. Women tend to have higher incidence of depression, maybe because of the constant hormonal changes they experience since puberty. Be one of the reasons they tend to suffer from depression more frequently than men. But men, when they get depressed, especially in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, can have a severe lethal depression than the women do. So, yes, it is more frequent, more prevalent in women than men. You mentioned some treatment options, doctor. Any more you want to cover even alternative treatment options? The problem with alternative treatments are if you go to a local 
health food store, you pick up these medicines that tell you they can cure anxiety, depression, everything in the world. My question is that they say this medicine has been studied. I don't know where this study was done, where it was published. So there's no data behind these claims that the companies make. Having said that, people should look at vitamin D levels. There's a lot of data behind vitamin D deficiency can cause depression. Multivitamins are very important. Vitamin E can be helpful. Vitamin B12 can be helpful. So there are vitamins that are important to vital functioning of the body, but these claims of these compounds in them, I don't really believe in that. Unfortunately, most educated people go to these stores to buy these fancy capsules. We just don't even know what's inside them. And lifestyle changes are important. And also, I think, as I said to you before, my medications are not going to cure you 100%. So medication plus lifestyle changes plus psychotherapy. Supportive psychotherapy can be very, very helpful, especially when you're encountering a job loss, loss of marriage, a traumatic event, grief. All these conditions do not require you to take medications. Someone to talk to, someone to listen to, go to therapy can be very, very helpful. And you can, just by talking about what's bothering you, can relieve a lot of anxiety and depression in people. But I think you need to be able to see somebody who's not judgmental. When you say therapy, somebody can listen to you because we're all individuals, right? We all have different genetic patterns. We all inherit certain behaviors. We are complex people, so the way we see things are very, very different. For example, if 10 people are exposed to a particular stress, there are 10 different reactions to the particular stress. Stress is the same, but the level of anxiety, depression, how you experience the stress, how you want to talk about it is very, very different. So we got to really, really go to individuals' response to particular stress depending on their personality, their genetic predispositions, the family structure, and other personality factors. So at what point should someone seek professional help? If your anxiety is persisting and you feel that you're not able to function and there is significant change in your behavior and your functioning and your sleep and your appetite, and this all comes down to functioning. You're not able to function the way you used to function a month ago, two months ago. Your productivity has changed. You have lack of interest in doing things. So if there is significant impairment in the functioning, that's when you need to seek psychiatric help. But if you have a grief or job loss, you don't have to come to me. You can get a psychotherapist. Somebody can, therapist can be very helpful in helping you understand how to deal with some of these stressors. And having said that, sometimes the grief can persist for more than six to eight weeks and turn into a major depression. Another important function I want to mention is your genetic history, family history of depression, family history of bipolar illness, family history of anxiety, family history of alcoholism, family history of complete suicide, play a significant role. We inherit genetic predisposition to how to manage stress. If you have family history of these illnesses, be careful because you're more vulnerable to developing anxiety turned into an impairing disorder, a little depression turned into a major depressive disorder. So this information is good not only for someone who may be feeling these symptoms, but also for a loved one who can be aware and then encourage the person to seek help. Absolutely. I feel the loved ones, I call them silent sufferers because they're not the identified patient. They can see because if your loved ones, this you get a change in your spouses and your friends' personality, right? You might be moody and anxious for a day or two, but the moodiness persists for more than two weeks, and you're not sleeping, you're not eating well, you're not functioning, more irritable, you're not productive. That's a significant change. They can be very empathic. 
We want to accuse somebody. Hey, become sorry, you're being lazy. Depression is not a lazy disorder. Depression is not a deficit in character. It's a neuropsychiatric medical condition. It's a disorder. And if you have a history of mental illness in the family, major depressive disorder, empathy can help someone to listen. I see the change in you, and I see that you're suffering. It's affecting our life, affecting your life and my life. Quality of life is different. Maybe you need to seek professional help. Someone to talk to to begin with, and if it gets worse, maybe medicine can be helpful. The good news is both of these can be treated. Definitely. And also, again, another point to remember is that if you have family history of depressive disorders, depression can be a major depressive disorder, can be a lifelong condition. So you need to be aware of that. So, yes, they can be effectively treated, yes. Because one of the things you're aware is that the sad mood, helplessness, hopelessness can lead to suicidal thoughts, suicidal behavior, complete suicide. That's a major risk factor for people suffering from major depressive disorder. So we pay attention to the inherent suicidal potential in any individual suffering from depression, especially if they have a family member, the first degree relatives we call them, parents, children, siblings, parents, and children, have a complete suicide, can inherit the genetic predisposition to complete suicide. So you've got to be very careful with that. Dr. Gary Shapuru, thank you so much. We appreciate your expertise and sensitivity and explanation. Defining anxiety and depression while common that these symptoms are treatable. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. For more information, please call our Physician Referral Service at 914-964-4DOC. That's 914-964-4362. Or email us at findadoc@riversidehealth.org. That's findadoc at riversidehealth.org. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with others and check out other episodes of Riverside Radio HealthCast, the podcast from St. John's Riverside Hospital.